eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. In-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This it's fourth down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. And welcome in to another bi-week edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City. Alongside Josh Taylor, I'm Chris Mack, Greg Finley producing. And oh yeah, it's a bye week and there's not a lot going on. And, oh, um, what are we going to talk about? Oh, we got plenty to talk about. We got plenty to talk about because... The offensive assistants, they spoke this week. Kenny spoke this week. Yes, we just, he's a single name at this point, like Cher, like Yoko, just <laughs> Kenny. Um, Kenny, uh, a lot happened this week that we could talk about. If you have not already yet, please do yourself the favor of following and subscribing to the podcast. It's how we can ensure that you still have a podcast to follow and subscribe to as we progress throughout the season here on fourth down in the steel city tell your friends tell your neighbors find an old person in your family who you can create an odyssey account for and download it for them and then play it in the background even if it's at a very low volume so they don't even hear it but they just absorb the information i would never suggest something like that josh osmotic listening i like it (laughs) i would never suggest something like that my gosh, I that, get you. That's uh, sounds highly scientific. Outlandish. However, you decide to get the podcast and whoever you decide to force to listen to it, we appreciate it. Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, of course, iTunes, and as I mentioned, inside your free Odyssey app, A U D A C Y. And you can watch on YouTube as well. 93.7 The Fan YouTube page. Um, a lot to get to. We got sound bites today because, well, I figured, why not go get some sound bites? Um, and really, the focus this week, Josh, has unfortunately, just specifically in a very granular fashion, been about what happened on that last touchdown pass. Did Kenny audible? Did audible Matt gate. Canada call it audible gate? We talked about that the other day. Um, but I do think a lot of the other questions that were asked and some of the answers we got from questions in that vein still lead us down a path of what else should we expect from this offense? Once we push past the bye, once they head out to LA to face the Rams, um, what happens in the, you know, back two thirds of the season? Cause this will put them officially one third of the way through the season, not in games necessarily, but in weeks, it's an 18 week season. Now, the bye week for the Steelers is week six. And so here's here's the first thought I had about expectations, Josh, for the last two-thirds of the season. Through the first six weeks, they're three and two. Mm-hmm. If they simply go six and six the rest of the way, you know what they'll be? Nine and eight. Nine and eight, exactly, as we've suspected all along. But that means that means it only takes one game, one game to flip the other way, right? Seven and five. That's all it takes in the last 12 games to all of a sudden look up, be 10 and seven. And 10 and seven, I think, should get you a wild card spot in the AFC more than likely. 
heck, nine and eight may even do it. But 10 and seven, I think would definitely get you a wild card spot in the AFC. And we've talked earlier, the way the schedule stacks up, especially through the back half of the season, those Thursday night games at home against Tennessee and New England. You got the Colts on the schedule. Uh, It may may still be Minshew mania at that point. Who knows what's up with Anthony Richardson? Anyway, here nor there, you've already won your first two division games. What if you just went, what if you just split your last four division games and you're four and two in the division? Four and two in the division. That can be win two in the division. All of a sudden, despite how poorly they've played at times, especially on offense, and we've discussed this before, but I think it's worth looking at again. If they just go seven and five in the last three months, they're a playoff team. That's if that's really if nothing else all that much changes josh they could have they could probably get away with a minor very uh, insignificant uh increase in offense and still somehow scratch out seven wins with what they've got yeah that's the thing i've been kind of gravitating back around toward with the way the defense is playing and it's really been the thought process i've had for a couple of years now the way this defense is played a league average offense makes this a team that can win double-digit games. They don't yeah. have to score 29, 30 points a game. If you could score somewhere between 22 and 25, you're in pretty good shape. You don't have to be this 30-point juggernaut that people have, everybody thinks that you need to be in order to win games. If you have a defense that's keeping you within 20 to 22 points, if you score 24 to 25, you might be squeaking by at least on paper, in theory, on average. But at the same time, you're putting yourself in position to win more games than you lose. If only, if only because you are able to at least keep a consistent output that at least mirrors something other teams, at least mirrors other teams in the league. That's going to put you in that, at least in that grouping. And that's not even counting the fact that the defense might actually steal you an extra game or two, even if you do give up more than maybe 22, 23 points a game. So all of that comes back around to say a league average offense with this group, not only does it look like light years better than it probably should, <laughs> but it also puts you in a good position to to hit that double-digit win mark that you're talking about. What's wild is if you look at the three wins, they average 22 points a game in the three wins. Now, we can argue about how multiple touchdowns have been scored by the defense to to contribute to that 22 points a game. And that's a very fair point, but, and how they've only, they're only averaging one offensive touchdown per game at this point. So maybe the improvement needs to be a little bit more than the statistically insignificant kind that I mentioned earlier, but here nor there, it's not hard to look at this schedule and see seven wins out of the remaining 12 games. I mentioned Tennessee. I mentioned New England. Arizona's in there. I mentioned Indy. Um, And like I said, if you just split two of your four remaining divisional games, well, that gets you to six wins right there of of what I just mentioned. Um, Now all you're talking about is flipping maybe – you don't even have to flip a Rams game. Win a Rams game. Uh, Win win against Green Bay at home. I I mean, all of a sudden – Again, getting to seven wins doesn't become that uphill of a climb, to your point, when you've got this defense. And you mentioned it. Went, went against Tennessee at home on a Thursday. Went against New England at home on a Thursday. Uh-huh. I think it was both home Thursday games. That yep. really gets you in a good position. Just We're talking about the division games you're talking about, just those and those other two. I mean, that puts you at four. You're, you're really in an advantageous position to win some games. We're not, we haven't even counted Indianapolis yet. All of it, and, and we never want to get too far ahead of ourselves because one of those games is going to be an absolute stinker. It'll be a, a rerun yeah. of Houston all over again, and we'll be wondering how we got here because that's what this team does. But it, it still lends to the discussion of how realistic it actually is for this team to be a double-digit win team and how getting there is not as extreme of a measure as people think it is. It just takes one or two small things, one or two small tweaks with this offense and then becoming a little bit more consistent. I'd say a little bit more consistent with the protection up front in the run game. That probably makes a difference because you saw what happened in that fourth quarter when they make those small tweaks. You saw what happened in the second and third quarters against Baltimore just in the run game when they make those small tweaks. They're there to be made. Can you keep them consistent as over that entire time period? And we will get to uh, a little, a little finer, some finer points on things like 
blocking uh, young guys in the lineup, especially on the offensive side of the ball. A little bit later with Pat Meyer, you'll also hear what quarterbacks coach Mike Sullivan had to say about Kenny Pickett's growth and development through the first five games. Matt Canada on the way as well. No, we will not play his response to the question of the chance at the Penguins game. That's like lightning rod issue for some reason. Uh, the last couple of you days. You don't say. Um, which, which maybe, you know what? I'm going to just jot that down. Chance. <laughs> maybe if we have time at the end of the show, we'll just get into that for a second. Because I have a thought. I, have I, a I got a thoughts. couple. I got a couple too. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do that. But let's start with everybody wanted to know what the quarterback had to say about the way the final offense, well, not the final offense play, what eventually ended up being the game-winning offensive play, how it went down on Sunday. Listen as our good friend Mike DeFabo of The Athletic gently tiptoes into this question of Kenny Pickett the other day. Kenny, there were a lot of other offensive coordinators coming up with these conspiracy theories about what happened in the last play, the, whether you, you know, made a check or audible at the line of scrimmage. What were some of the changes you made at the line of scrimmage? Yeah, it was protection and the route. Um, you know, they went zero. I want to make sure we protected them and gave George the route. Um, he went and made a, made a great play. It was, it was something that we worked all week on. So it was, it's, it's awesome when you when you put a lot of time in something in a crucial moment like that to win a divisional game. You go out there and you do it in a two-minute drill. It's awesome. So Kenny Pickett, Josh, changed the protection, changed the route. He mentions they went zero, cover zero from the Ravens. They love to do that in big-time moments. And more often than not, I'll be honest, it pays off for them, right? They get home. They at least force a poor play by a quarterback. Um, they didn't get home in this instance. Kenny Pickett saw George Pickens out there on that island with Marlon Humphrey, and he hit him. But, of course, we had to also ask the question of Matt Canada as to what went down, because we got to make sure. It's like when you catch your kids, and your kids aren't quite old enough for this yet, Josh. Trust me, they will be soon. When you catch your kids I'm gonna look forward to. <laughs> in a lie, right? And it's, well, wait a second. Wait a second. Your brother says this happened. Let's ask little sister what happened, sis. So, of course, it had to be asked of Matt Canada, Brian Backo of the Post-Gazette, asking him about that call and how exactly it all went down, going all the way back to pre-snap. Kenny's touchdown pass to George. Um, can you kind of take us through that play? Um, you know, all the pre-snap stuff that, that went into it from your vantage point. Yeah, we had a, you know, broke the huddle, had a play called. You know, Kenny did it multiple times through it in this game. You know, we had a cover zero plan, which we've always had. Um, and this, in that exact instance, you know, the routes were kind of called in the huddle, but the protection had to change. So he came out, he saw it, he made the protection adjustment. George, you know, we had three guys stayed on what they had because they were – the, I'm sorry, the routes that, that they need, you know, that, that worked in that point, you were pressed across the board. So Kenny did a great job, but again, he probably did that three or four times throughout the game, and, and, and everybody did a good job with that. So it worked out, you know, obviously you get to that point, the way these situations of a game, they they went, you know, they got, they got you know, aggressive and really excited. Kenny saw it, really excited. The line did a great job and kept a tight end in, did that. GP won his battle and did a good job, and it was a big, big play for us. Matt, do you get a sense of Yeah, and, and I went on to ask uh, Matt Canada there about how comfortable he is with Kenny audibling at that point. Da, 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 da. And he feels good about it, feels better about it. Um, but let's go over what he said there, Josh. They had a cover zero plan. Okay, so he starts out talking about essentially the same thing Kenny Pickett mentioned. They had a cover mm -hmm. zero plan. The routes were called in the huddle, but the protection had to change once they mm -hmm. read cover zero. Credit to Kenny Pickett, pre-snap reads. I haven't mm -hmm. had a whole lot of fears about his pre-snap reads as much as his post-snap reads, and this seemed to sort of put everything in a nice pre-snap canister for him when Baltimore declared cover zero. And then he says, Matt Canada, three guys stayed on what they were going to run because they were being pressed at the line, and that's what we planned for. And it, he intimates that George Pickens may have changed his route, but whatever, here nor there, I don't understand why this is creating as much confusion as it is for people still that there was. A, a, I know. A, okay. Explain to me why people are still flummoxed by this. Because people want him to appear incompetent. That's what mm. it is. People want Matt Canada to appear incompetent 
that he doesn't know what he's doing, that he runs a quote-unquote high school or college offense, which, by the way, most of the offenses that you see now probably originated in high school or college. Ironically enough. Yeah. Ironically enough. Just so we're clear. That's a whole other discussion for a whole other show. But <laughs> it, it, it does come down to the thing. People just want to believe that this man has no idea what he's doing. And it's fine. I, I'm done trying to even digest all of it and process it and make it make sense. If that's what you want to believe, fine. The point of the matter is they had an idea of what they wanted to do going into this game. And Kenny Pickett said it after the game. Pickett said, we were prepared for this throughout the week. So whether you want to acknowledge it or not, whether or not you want to give him credit, this is something that is, it's indisputable. This offense was ready for that particular situation. They had a plan for it. They executed it. It worked, and it helped them win the game. None of that can be disputed. Regardless of how you want to look at it, how you spin it, they got this right. So guess what? Canada, good job. Yeah. Good job. And my thing is, even if you want to say, hey, you did your job for, for one day and one time it worked, and you, if you want to use the broken clock as right twice a day analogy, fine. Just acknowledge the fact that the man did his job well and the quarterback did his job well and the offensive line and the receiver did it. Everybody did their job well. It doesn't happen a lot with this offense for whatever reason <laughs> because one guy's screwing up somewhere or another, but everybody did their job. Have some ice cream, do some high fives, and go back and do it again. Ooh, I didn't know there'd be ice cream. Um. I guess ice, my, ice cream is great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, cookies and cream, or like moose tracks. Yeah, give me, give me a little cookie something to munch. Oh good. yeah, 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 cookie dough solid. Anyway, I guess my point is, if it can happen in that instance, right? It happens in that instance late in the game against the division rival. I don't want to say season on the line because it's week five, but we talked last week about how important that game was, and that's the most important moment in that game, which to that point was the most important game in the season. And when we look back yes. on it, it may still be a very important game in the Could season. Could be a turning point game. Could be. So if it can happen then, why can't we get it more often? Why can't we hand Kenny the keys and not expect him to be Ferris's friend Cameron, who takes the old vet for a spin around <laughs> Chicago? Let's trust him that he's going to wear his seatbelt and he's going to tend into it and he's going to slowly break at the stop sign and slam on the brakes that he's not going to grind the clutch. Nobody has a standard anymore that he's not going to slam on the gas. Uh, you know, why can't we trust Kenny Pickett to make these reads more often? That's, I guess what I take away from it aside from, okay, you beat the Ravens aside from, all of the stuff that we've, you know, it's it's like Dave Damashek said it best. He is a master of wasting time, but he's really proud of all the Yinzers who've gone all Zapruder on the film of Matt Canada in the booth and how much he celebrated. Um, why are we why are we digging up that? Why are we digging up Fire Canada chance at the Penguins game when there's an actual functional thing to talk about here? And that is Kenny made the right read off a proper call by the OC. Like the OC and the and the quarterback both got it right in that instance, Josh, and they haven't gotten it right both at the same time all that often yet in the first month of the season. Maybe this is hope. They're not going to talk about it because it's boring, Chris. They don't want to give this offense hope. They don't want to give this team hope that things will get better because then that means you have to actually expect the offensive coordinator to do his job better. And then it might reflect better on the head coaches. We don't want those things being discussed right now, do we? God forbid. Matter of fact, the fact that we've discussed this this far without saying the alternative probably forced some people to shut this podcast off and maybe stop watching this video. If we're 100% honest with ourselves. You're right. Start watching, they're going to kill us in the comment section for saying what we're saying. Because God forbid we say something other than this man doesn't know how to do his job or that this quarterback isn't good enough to do this job or that this head coach isn't knowing what he's doing to oversee both men doing these jobs. But here's the thing. Like we all have somebody in our life. We all have somebody in our life. And and I'm only being half serious and drawing this analogy, but like we all have somebody who we've watched throughout our lives. Who's just been a total screw up, right? Total screw up. They've been bad at things, multiple things, whether they were bad in school when we were kids, whether they were, you know, 
They became a problem drinker, developed a drug habit. They're a bad parent. They're bad at their job, whatever it may be. We all know people that are bad at life. And we celebrate them when they pick themselves up and dust themselves off, right? And they get their, pardon my French, they get their shit together, okay? We're on a podcast. I can say that. Sure can. They get it together. Sorry, I know that's the, the bad words make Greg's ears burn. I apologize, Gregory. <laughs> He's a good but, clean boy. He is, but they get it together, right? And we celebrate that as a society when people get their stuff together. Mm-hmm. Why can't we celebrate if what we think might be what we're dying, dying for as, as Steeler fans may actually be happening right in front of us? And look, it's one play. It's one play in a game where they only scored 17 points. But let's acknowledge what it was. Like I said, the OC made a good call. The quarterback made the right adjustment. The quarterback made a really nice throw. The wide receiver beat his man. All of it worked. And they won a crucial game because of it. Can we not celebrate that things might be turning in the right direction? And can we stop just for a week looking for the failure? Are there things that need to be fixed? Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah, there's things that need to be fixed. There's always something that needs to be fixed. With this offense, there's going to be things to fix always. But when they get something right, when your kid who gets straight C's and D's somehow shows up with a straight A and B report card, you celebrate that kid. You take him for ice cream. I'm back on ice cream. You know why? Because improve offensive cohesion isn't easy to chant. It's too many syllables. <laughs> it's not easy improve to chant. Offensive improve cohesion. offensive cohesion. And, you, and half, half the folks trying to chant ain't got rhythm. It just, <laughs> there's echoes in the stadium or in the arena in certain uh, cases. <laughs> but yeah, it just it, it's not a fun thing to chant, and it's not negative, so people can't find something to poke at. I, I don't know. It's I have many theories on this, and I and, and there I have the the pit bull jaw lock theory that once their people once people just have yeah. their teeth sunk into something, they are not going to let it go. Well, it's the That's easy. Part of it. Yeah, that might the- be the main reason behind it. Also, I also have another theory behind this is that because other people who think they are just the most armchair offensive coordinators in the world mm-hmm. don't know a fly pattern from an out route. They also don't know that Randy is the protection for the sliding to protection to mm-hmm. the right side. Clearly, they don't know that. I, no, 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 Josh. I heard Randy is when they will just use one of Feetner's old plays. That's what I heard. It's just, it's just they're, they're, And there are people <laughs> who tell them themselves quite frequently. Matter of fact, we work with a few of them who tell on themselves about just what exactly they don't know about how this works. It it, it it all just snowballs and it gets out of control. So when you see something that you should understand and something that makes sense, some people don't know the difference. Some yeah. people really can't tell the difference between what works and what doesn't work. Some people can't tell the difference between a play call that was actually good but was, just wasn't executed mm-hmm. or a bad play call that just should not have been called in that certain down the distance in time. Some people cannot tell the difference. They just see something and it doesn't get them 10 yards in one trip and they just start booing because it didn't work and they don't know any better. Well, and look, I can excuse that to a, a large extent from, from fans. I can. Like a, a lot of fans aren't the hardcore uh, X's and O's. I know football as much as I sh- not should. I know football that well. Kind of some people, to be quite honest. They just want to go have a good time on a Sunday, whether it's hanging out with friends at their house and watching the game, or even, I know it sounds like blaspheming, but season ticket holders. There are people who have had their season tickets handed down to them from their parents, and they were handed down from their parents, and maybe they don't even care all that much about the football. They just like to go and listen to sticks and wave a towel, and that's okay. <laughs> I'm fine with that. If that's but your it level, is a major qualifier when you call into a radio show or the nightly sports call. Every season ticket holder in 1984. If that happens, you're supposed to just place that above everything else you (laughs) do. Yes, if I sound like I'm being a little bit difficult, I am. Yeah, (laughs) but like years of hearing those calls, I'm okay. I'm okay. Listen, I don't know how you do the nightly sports call. Sometimes I'm not just. We'll discuss that on another show. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) I, I, I'm okay. If you're a casual fan, you're a casual fan. That's okay. Like that's that, that exists, mm-hmm. but I guess my issue is if you're a casual fan, 
don't just choose the easy scapegoat just because it's the easy scapegoat. Again, I'll make a comparison to the Penguins in hockey. And I heard someone else mention this on Wednesday afternoon. And the easy scapegoat for Penguins fans is Tristan Jari, right? Yes. Like anytime that something goes wrong with the Pens, you blow a two-goal lead, it's got to be Jari's fault, right? And before that, player. it was Matt Murray. And before that, it was Mark andre Marc-Andre Fleury. And, and Chris yeah. Letang is a close 1B. Chris B. Letang is a, is a favorite, too. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he's the easy scapegoat, right? Trist- Tristan Jari didn't necessarily have a bad game against the Blackhawks in the opener. But we digress. He's the easy scapegoat. Ironically enough, the person I heard espousing this theory uses Bob Nutting as an easy scapegoat for everything that goes wrong with the Pirates. That sounds about right. But here nor there, every single team has their easy scapegoat. And that's what Matt Canada has become for the Steelers. It just don't don't just like you said, don't lock your jaw onto it and, and start whipping your head around. Like you said, the angry pit bull. If you're not sure if that's what the problem was on that particular player or in that particular game. Yes, but the, 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 I, I cede the floor to Mr. Taylor. This is, I'm raising my hand because I'm making sure we mark that this is the showing our age portion of the show. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase Rick James from season two of Chappelle Show. Mob mentality is a hell of a drug. <laughs> that mob mentality is a hell of a drug. It is. That, it's so easy. It's so much easier to fall in with what everybody else is saying. It's so easy to, if you hear something from someone, from someone says one thing one time, you're going to tell that to the next person. Yeah. And they're going to tell that to the next person. And then they're going to tell that to the next person because, Chris, they're going to be in the 15 conversations during the course of the week about mm-hmm. what happened during the game on Sunday because that's how it's going to go. And they're going to hear one guy say one thing and they're going to pass it along. And then you have one guy who will say the same thing, I don't know, seven, eight times in one show every day, five days a week. And then you just hear the same things over and over again. So you hear the same people saying the same things over and over again. So people will hear them and they'll pass them along to their friends. And after a while, everybody's just saying the exact same thing over and over again. It doesn't sound like I'm talking about anybody in particular. Maybe. No, but you're but right. It, 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 it speaks to a larger point. Mob mentality is hell of a drug. Drug. Yep. Yep. That's you're right. Uh, so look, I guess my greater point here is that we've reached the bye week. This team is somehow three and two and in first place. And I'm not going to sit here and vomit rainbows and kitty cats and unicorns all <laughs> over your speakers. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to be honest about what I, I still think this is a nine and eight team at best. They'll be lucky to get a wild card. I still have enormous questions about yes. Kenny Pickett and whether he is the kind of quarterback who could take a team anywhere beyond a wild card appearance at some point in his career. But, Just like I have questions about if the run game can become a competent run game to complement said quarterback. A, a, a million questions still to be answered about this team as it's currently constructed. But I think we have to remind ourselves that when you're swimming in the deep end of negativity, it's okay to wander into the shallows sometimes and enjoy the warmer water of not that little kid peeing over there. Don't worry. It's not him. The water's just actually warmer because the sun's out. Enjoy the warm waters of positivity because you have an opportunity here to do so. And there is no more effusively positive man about this young quarterback and this offense than a man I got to speak to amongst some other reporters or uh, with some other reporters on Wednesday afternoon than the other Mike Sullivan, quarterback's coach, Pittsburgh Steelers. Here he is talking about Kenny Pickett. Mike, what's your sense of the comfort level for everybody involved, from Kenny to you to Matt to even Mike, on his ability to make adjustments, uh, like the adjustments he made on the plate of George there? Well, when you talk about comfort level, I don't know how anybody's going to be comfort in terms of where we're at. We'd like to be 5-0. and We'd like to be cooking with Crisco in all cylinders as far as everything in all phases from an offensive perspective. Um, so I think a better word to describe instead of comfort is more determined, uh, resolute, focused on what we need to do to get better. I mean, everyone is uh, – focused on getting better and whether it's I'm talking to Kenny or Matt's talking to Kenny, Mike T's talking to Kenny, uh, Pat Meyer about protections, uh, Frisman Jackson about uh, route concepts. We got one goal and one goal only and that's to go ahead and get 
that young man prepared to be at his best, get him ready, and uh, and go out and get better. So there's determination is more so than comfort. Do you feel better about his ability to make those adjustments, though, at the line in moments like that? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. And, and he's shown the ability to do that. There's going to be some challenges up ahead. You know, defenses are smart, and they work hard, and they might be able to have a look that looks like it's going to be zero, and then they hop out of that, and that's just, that's that's part of the grind, being able to tell and determine when it's, what's what's real and what's fake. And, and again, working with a guy like Kenny that spends so much time in the film room and asks so many good questions and is so determined to get better uh, gives us a fighting chance for sure. Mike was pretty I'm not, I'm not going to make the very easy joke at the expense of my good friend, Mark Cavalli, that as soon as Mike Sullivan mentioned cooking with Crisco, <laughs> kaboom, sidled up behind him. Shout out I'm, to Cavalli. He's the best. I love how he just kind of like eased his way into frame. If you're watching on YouTube, and if you're not, I'm sorry you don't get the visual. But he yeah. just settles himself behind Mike Sullivan. You know what it looked like? It looked like when you were your kids, like you had somebody that would like stand, and then would kneel behind somebody, the other guy would push him over. Yeah. Kamali looked like he was setting himself up behind Mike Sullivan for you to just, oh, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to him. Uh, I told him on when, on Tuesday that my favorite part of every media scrum is when he's just sort of quietly standing off to the side like that and he gets caught in the camera frame. And, and I he's get like to just totally indifferent, like he's not paying attention. <laughs> and I just watch his <laughs> facial expressions. It's the best. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry, soon to be neighbor, Mark Cavalli, moving in right down the road from me. Anyway. Oh, good on him. Good oh, on him. yeah. He'll, yeah, he'll probably ask you about pocket squares when he sees you. Oh, no, wait, that's just me. He's just me. He asks about pocket yes. squares. It's an old running joke that he and I have going back to the trib live days. Like old, old running joke. But it's the point about Mike Sullivan remains you you hear in his voice, and look, again, he's an effusively positive guy, but it sounds like in his voice, he feels really good about the growth and progression we've seen from Kenny Pickett through the first five weeks. I don't share that same optimism. I think it's very likely that moments like Sundays against the Ravens or last January against the Ravens or Christmas Eve against the Raiders or a month before that against the Colts are unfortunately the exceptions to the rule. But again, that's uh, I'm glad that the quarterback's coach, the guy who, if it does end up hitting the fan with Matt Canada by the end of the year, may take over play-calling duties, feels good about the young quarterback. A guy who has worked with Loki variant Eli Manning in the past, right? He's, he's, he's worked with some high-level quarterbacks before. So I, I don't know. I, as a guy who's trying to find bi-week positivity, Josh, I'm okay with Sully's positivity there. I think Mike Sullivan, I think the thing that probably gives him the perspective that he has on Kenny Pickett, besides the fact that he works with him on a daily basis, I think it's the one thing that you try to keep in front of you. You try to keep it in mind in situations like these with young players like these as they're trying to develop. It's the one thing that could boost you if you use it right, or if you if you don't read too much into it, but if you read too much into it, it could also kill you. I think Mike Sullivan sees Kenny Pickett's potential. Yeah. I think he sees the potential of what he could become. And I think we see the potential of what he could become. Like we talked about, you know, the, the four or five, just the, the comeback drives that he's had between this season and last season and the way he's been able to do certain things and respond to certain situations. Does he respond to all of them well? No. But has he gotten better to responding to them when they come? Yes. So he's starting to at least fulfill that potential, or at least that side of it. That touchdown pass to George Pickens. We saw him do something that he hadn't done in the first half, where he let Arthur Mollett come right on in and knock him right on down on the third down because he didn't even see him on that side, so he couldn't slide the protection accordingly. This time around, he saw the he saw the front. He understood what was coming. He was able to make the adjustment and the protection. He adjusted the route, got the play that he wanted, got the pass that he wanted, and then being a big part of the game. That's something you see, and you say, okay, just from one situation to the to the other, you see the growth, you see the adjustment, and you see at least that fulfillment of that potential. So yeah. that is where it all kind of comes to that small point. So from Mike, Mike Sullivan's perspective, yes, I can actually understand why he does feel a lot more confident about Kenny Pickett. I think from a fan perspective, you want to feel more confident about Kenny Pickett because you saw the previous Kenny Pickett during the days at Pitt when he helped lead that team to an ACC championship. Yeah. You, you hope that potential is still there and that it can be tapped into. 
And if you're looking at anything, I, if I'm looking at anything, and it's something that you and I both talked about, you know, coming into this game, the games that they've won, there's been one big play every week. Yeah. So if you're looking for that something that to, can play off that potential, let it be that one big play. And if that one big play turns into, you know, the confidence to make some smaller, more significant plays that start to add up to something else or maybe more than one big play, now you're talking about potential being reached. Now you're talking about, you know, the situation where Mike Sullivan probably feels a lot better. I, I just, I, I wonder, like, how do we get Mr. Effusively Positive Mike Sullivan to unlock what we get in Kenny from Kenny Pickett in these, for example, these four come from behind game winning drives that we talked about and the statistical difference between those drives and what he does throughout the rest of ball games. Um, the rest of ball games, his quarterback rating is like a 74. Uh, those four drives. Whew, I mean, we're talking the best that Kenny Pickett has looked a college or pro to be mm-hmm. quite honest. And how do we unlock that in the first quarter so that the big play to George Pickens or Calvin Austin or even Deontay Johnson, maybe now that he's back, that the big play gets hit early because that's the design. Again, that's the design of this team. We've talked about this so often. I feel like a broken record, but it's the truth. And that's why we mention it all the time. This team was designed to get ahead and then simply just squeeze all the life out of the game and boa constrictor style yes if you can't get ahead then you can't play that style and look whether he meant to say it or not the oc said the quiet part out loud a couple weeks ago in a production meeting this team is not built to come from behind and he wasn't wrong when he said that so he wasn't and i don't know why people are killing him for that because and if he says something different where he says, oh, you know, we feel like we can always come back from behind and people are like, yeah, okay, your offense yeah. can't score. So once again, he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. No win. But I guess the point here is stop – I'm going to use a bad word again, Greg, earmuffs. Stop <laughs> pissing around early in games. Yes. Take a shot early. And look, I'm not going to go Corey Geiger here and ask if you can just chuck it up and hope that it works out because – I, like James Franklin, do not speak Japanese, but look for moments, look for opportunities. You speak Japanese? Yeah, it took like nine years of it. Three years in middle school, four years of high school, and like three semesters in college. True story. Just when you think you know a guy. So how do I say Fire Canada in Japanese? Oh, God, it's been like 20 years since I even (laughs) took a class. I can tell you that. (laughs) So... Again, get the offense going early is the point here as we digress. Get the offense going early. Get a lead, okay? Get Kenny Pickett to look in the first or second drive of the game like he looks on the last drives of games. I I will say this, and and this is not a dig at Kenny Pickett. I want people to understand this. There there are some quarterbacks that can come into a game and they are just sharp from the word go. They can come in and they are locked in and they're, they're able to light it up early. Then there are some that kind of slowly that momentum builds up and then they get better as the game goes along. There was a guy who played here not too long ago. It was the exact same way. He, he, he wasn't his best always in the first quarter. It was always maybe, you know, maybe going into the second quarter, he started to heat up. Maybe in the third quarter, maybe if he's down by, you know, a touchdown or two in the second half is when he would activate. It, it's hard to really put your finger on when certain guys are the most comfortable, but I'm with you on this. If you can find a way to get the same kind of results in the first half that you get in the second half, if you can get the same kind of play-by-play focus or snap-to-snap focus that you get in the second half, if you could put that into the first half, I don't think we're having this discussion as much. I think a part of it is you know, just the fact that this offense really can't seem to establish itself because there's so many small things that get in the way. And it might not even be Kenny Pickett. It might be Calvin Austin falls down. It might be someone misses a block on second and four and they don't, you know, it's being a, a negative running play instead of a positive one. You end up in the third long or it's, you know, you miss a blitz pickup or just small things that tend to add up over time. So that becomes a problem. If you can find a way to just eliminate those small things, and this is where the bye week is important because we saw this last year. We saw this last year when they got to the bye week and some of those small problems that they had, then they came out against New Orleans 
New Orleans, and those small problems were gone. The running yeah. game looked different. The, the passing game as far as using play action and rolling out, getting Kenny Pickett on the move, some of that stuff looked different. If you can just clean up those small things, and I'm going to borrow my Tomlinson to set him on the desk and say make routine plays routinely. That really is the essence of it. And I think that's one of the things that if they get to the better habit of it, and they did this in the second half of last year, is get to the habit of doing some of the small things right. Maybe the big things don't look so insurmountable. In the yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, one last guy I wanted to let you people hear from um, because look, it, it's fallen by the wayside the last week and a half as everybody's become more focused on uh, chance at Penguin games and who called what and all that is the offensive line looked better. That's all I wanted. It's all I wanted. The offensive offensive line looked better, and they did it with Broderick Jones at left tackle. And Pat Meyer, offensive line coach, was nice enough to stand there and talk to the assembled media for, I swear, a good 15 or 20 minutes today. I was a part of the discussion for a solid six to eight minutes of that. I won't force you to listen to all of that, but at the very least, I did have – Rather than making it specific to Broderick Jones, um, I I wanted to ask him about just generally how you adapt things, protections, schemes, concepts for young guys who maybe are getting thrown into things. And in this case, it looks like it was earlier than you're ready to throw them into things. Getting guys, young guys in there earlier than maybe you wanted to. Um, in general, are there schemes or concepts that you try to lean on that make can make the adjustment easier for them? Or is it more about them that they just have to get up to speed to whatever you're working on? Well, I mean, obviously, Chris, you, 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 you know, you, you try to build a plan around certain players and certain guys or try to help certain guys and certain players. Not, not necess- I don't know if it's necessarily like saying, hey, we can't run this game or this game because of that. But you do. You know, you do. There, there's some things that you, you, you know, that you try to um, – Maybe hide deficiencies on guys. Um, you know, run game. You can make plays one way. You can do some certain things. You can different schemes and that type of stuff. Um, especially with the young guys. Um, but when you're when you're active and active on game day, those guys got to be ready. I mean, maybe they're not the starter in the second play of the game. They're playing the rest of the game. So these guys got to be. They have to. It's, it's the NFL. If you're active and you're active on game day, you're a, a play away, maybe two plays away if you're the seventh or eighth guy, but you got to be ready to ready to get in there and not have a, a huge step down from the guy that was playing you know, in front of you to, for, for us to be successful, anybody to be successful. Is that last? Okay, that's Steelers offensive line coach Pat Meyer, and what I like that he said that ties back in a way to something Matt Canada said is – well, no, you have to acknowledge strengths and weaknesses. You have to acknowledge deficiencies and acknowledge skill sets. And yeah, to be quite honest, at a certain point, the training wheels come off and you might get baptized by fire mm-hmm. a little sooner than we necessarily want you to. But but we are going to acknowledge what we think you're good at, what you what we think you still need work on. And we're going to try to to accentuate those positives. Here I am about positivity and negativity again. but. You know, Canada mentioned that really when he talked about making the adjustment, the cover zero adjustment on the Pickens play where George beat Marlon Humphrey and Kenny made the protection call and the route adjustment, uh, depending on who made the route adjustment and who wants to sit here and argue about that anymore. My point is this I have, and we have talked about and it, 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 for the first four or five weeks of the season, why do they not seem to acknowledge other teams? strengths and their own weaknesses or vice versa and game plan to that. It really feels almost like the first four or five weeks of the regular season are almost treated like preseason 2.0. And we're going to just continue to do what we do and well, we'll figure it out. Well, here we are luckily in early bye week and we're acknowledging that, well, no, 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 we've got enough young guys in the lineup and let's be honest, there's probably even some veterans in this lineup that, We've got to cater to their strengths and work away from their weaknesses. And I would hope they're continuing to acknowledge that they're recognizing opponent weaknesses like, hey, Baltimore loves to go cover zero in big points in ball games, and we can exploit that and working towards their strengths. We have George Pickens. They don't. Um, all of this is to say, Josh, this all gives me, again, hope, hopeful optimism 
that they will adjust to opponents for the final 12 weeks of the season and not continue to just sit there in their lane uh, like an out-of-control bumper car and not think about what other teams are going to present them with. Uh, two things I'll, I'll say to this. And first of all, what Pat Meyer said, and I'm going to bring you back to last year. When this offensive line, it didn't have a guy missing a game. Everybody played mm-hmm. every game. No one went down and left and didn't come back. Actually, that might have been true. I think one guy may have come come up for a couple snaps and then came back in. But for the most part, those guys played together the whole season. And that's the most rare thing for an offensive line to do is for everybody to play healthy. So for them to get to this point where this early in the season, they had to start this last game, the fifth game of the season with two different guys that were, that were starters the, the four weeks before, it's a big, big jump from what we saw last year. So for them to be able to make that adjustment and be prepared, I, I think Nate Herbig and I think Broderick Jones both acquitted themselves pretty well being put into that position. Yeah. The second thing is, I think I'm glad you pointed out the strength and weaknesses thing. Because you and I had this discussion off air a couple of weeks ago. Is this team maybe, or some of these guys, are they a little bit too specialized? Or, or is there so much of a, of, a, of a focus on, okay, this guy does this well, so let's put this guy in this position where he does well, and everybody else knows what that guy does well, so they're like, okay, that guy's coming in, so they're going to do this because that's what he does well. Or is it because, you know, well, this guy can block, so we got to put him in the block. Or this guy can catch, we got to put him in the catch. And then you get in situations where, you know, weaknesses kind of aren't taken into account well this guy can't block we're going to bring him across the formation right. try to block somebody anyway and he gets sent back to where he came from in the first place <laughs> well, now, it create, now it creates a problem because we're talking about why are they doing this and why are they so yeah. predictable because they don't have a guy that can do this and do this at the same time maybe darnell washington is that guy at the tight end position maybe jalen warren is that guy at the running back position so maybe that's why you see certain results in some times and certain results in others because they're trying to fit some square pegs into round holes or maybe not trying to show the round peg in the round hole all the time because somebody will know what's happening. But specifically with this offensive line, it becomes a lot more complex because, you know, you go from Dan Moore Jr. to Pro- to Broderick Jones. Broderick Jones walked in with a reputation. He walked in with that first round pedigree. Mm-hmm. So there's already an expectation of what you know he can do. But part of that is being a really good run blocker. So you see that happen, and those dividends were paid early and often against Baltimore. But then you start looking at some of the protections that he had and how well he was in pass protection and how well he was keeping that left side of Kenny Pickett pretty much well protected, not counting butchers off the edge. He did pretty good with that too. So maybe that's the more surprising part of it all. But, yeah, I think it does come back to – you know, them understanding what certain guys' strengths and weaknesses are and using that to build them up first and say, okay, let's get you comfortable and confident doing this before we can worry about what the other team is doing. Maybe they're at that point already, to your point, figuring out what Baltimore's tendencies were. Yeah, I I just – it felt like all too often the first month of the season was, well, we'll just do what we do and hope it works out. Eh, That's no way to survive in the NFL. And what Pat Meyer said there – to a lesser extent, what Matt Canada said earlier gives me hopeful optimism, like I said, that they are, in fact, going to work harder to exploit opponent weaknesses and exploit uh, their own strengths. I think it comes back to the preseason where, where there was so much, you hate to call it success, but things that worked so yeah. well in all yeah. those drives. And I, I think we went into this season thinking that this offense was a finished product. Yeah, and they and probably it, went into the season thinking that. And they too. probably went to thinking it too, and it became clear that it was. It became yeah. clear that there were some things they needed to figure out. And it became clear that there are some things that don't work with certain guys. And it's it's crazy that, you know, we're talking about this game in particular. This Baltimore game is probably the best game the offensive line played, probably the best run-blocking game that they've had. It might be because they were forced to play a couple guys that were more beneficiary to the run game. Yeah, that that could be the thing. So now they can accentuate those strengths. Maybe the matchup that they had allowed them to accentuate those those strengths. Sometimes it happens that way where, you know, you have a particular a particular, you know, feature of your offense Mm -hmm. that matches up real well with what the other team can't defend or what the other team doesn't do. well. Sometimes you will have that lottery. Sometimes it doesn't always work that way. But in this case, it might have been one of the times that it did. So this is the last thing I wanted to bring up. 
and <laughs> oh I, I, I just it, look, it is what it is. Um, but I, I tweeted this out this afternoon. It was probably just before dinner time, right around four thirty. I said, if you're that worked up, because I heard people today worked up, clutching their pearls. Mm-hmm. If you're that worked up over some yinzers starting a goofy chant at a hockey game, then you are taking this whole damn thing. Sports, sports fandom, life in general, all of it. Way, way too seriously. And I I, I don't understand. Like, it was some goofy yinzers doing a goofy yinzer thing. And that's that. That's it. It ain't any deeper. Look, do I... Do I sometimes feel a little bad that Matt Canada is now the default scapegoat for the Pittsburgh Steelers and that whatever goes wrong this year, he's going to be the one that gets blamed, even if he ends up fixing some things and turning things around in the right direction? Yeah, I I, I mm. do feel bad at times. I do. Look, it's, it's part of the gig, man. And every single one of these people knows it who works in the spotlight. That unfortunately, especially in this day and age, thank you, social media, that unfortunately... That kind of criticism is part of the gig. Like, what, what did Omar say? It's all in the game, yo. It's all in the game. All in the game. And so Matt Canada knows it's all in the game. He's not a civilian. He is getting <laughs> chanted about at a Penguins game because right now, guess what? Unfortunately, he's the most hated man in the city. Is it fair? Probably not all the time. But oh well, he's going to live with it. He was asked by, uh, I, I'm not going to say her name right, Emily Giangreco, I think is how it's supposed to be said. Actually, I think from, you got it right. Yeah. Okay, awesome. From WTAE today. Um, I wasn't there for it. It was related to me that she asked him about the chance at the Penguins game last night and if it bothers him. And he simply said, no, it doesn't. Because the man knows, right? And look, it's gotten to the point where I think he's grown far more detached and is a little passive aggressive at times, and a little. And probably fun. has to be for his own mental well being, and probably should be. That's a good point. Can Just he get saying. a little? Can he get a little passive aggressive? Can he get a little condescending at times? Sure, but you know what? Mm-hmm. If I were him, if I were him, I'd be a whole hell of a lot worse. That's all I'm saying. I'd <laughs> I'd be way less nice. I would look I, at. I'd be getting a lot of phone calls from my mother saying, "You need to stop looking like that in front of the camera." I would look. I would grab people's microphones, which is one of my most detestable things when people do that. <laughs> when they grab the microphone, like they think they're Shug at the Source Awards, and they go, "Hey, you're with the OC dancing up in the video." <laughs> as an offense and as a label. Um, (laughs) I would be up in people's face grabbing the mic like Shug at the Source Awards and just going, looking directly into the camera if I were Matt Cannon, going go ahead and explain a cover two concept to me you buffoons and then I would just sit back and wait and the majority of people like we talked about earlier casual fans hey it's not their job to know what a cover two even is or to know what a fire zone blitz is or anything, anything. It's not their job. They're fans. It's not their job. Their, their job is to be a teacher or a banker or a lawyer or a trash collector or a cop or a fi- whatever their job is. That's their job. And on Sunday, their outlet is to watch their team. It's not their job to know all that. So I get it i do i get people blowing off steam and chanting fire canada at a penguins game it's not that deep it's not disrespectful towards the penguins it's not i guarantee you if genny malkin was on the bench going who's not like canada and Sid had to look at him and be like no 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 the Steelers. don't worry about it i'll explain it after the game you know um but I like, wonder if those conversations happen during a game. <laughs> but like, it, it is what it is. It's a bunch of goofy yinzers doing goofy yinzer stuff, and so I'm yes. not going to sweat it. Yes, a small, small thing. That no, go ahead. Time and place. It just time and place. 
if it would have been the night before Thanksgiving, because the Penguins always have that home mm-hmm. game night before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have cared. If it would have been that first game after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's, I wouldn't have cared. It, it just, when you do it the night of another team season opener at home, when you just had this massive offseason for said mm-hmm. team, where they made some huge moves and brought a big name in, and it's the record-breaking season for the core of this team, and it just so happens to be a nationally televised game because they're featuring your captain, who's one of the great greatest players in the history of the game, one of the big, game's biggest stars, and he's facing one of the game's new young stars. And that platform, that stage is about hockey that night. You need to let it be about that night. I don't think that's an unfair thing because that, that's my only thing. If it had been an, any other night, I wouldn't have cared. That night, that night was about putting hockey on its best stage and putting hockey on, on the, the highest level and getting the popularity of a couple of guys or maybe even a team and some other guys out to a bigger audience. And I feel like a few people went ahead and made that moment about themselves. So I any get other what night, I wouldn't care. I get what you're saying, and and I don't necessarily wholeheartedly disagree with your with your premise. I don't because it's you're, really you're my right. only beef with the whole thing. It, here's here's what I'll say though: it is also one of the most Pittsburgh things to happen in like it, it, that I can remember in recent. It's fries on a sandwich. It is. It's potholes everywhere. <laughs> it's orange. It's orange drums and cones. As soon as the weather gets warm, it's, it is it's right on that list. It's, it's I mean, bugs in May. It's it's right there. It, it's Ric Flair woos at a at a late April Pirates yeah, game. Exactly. It's you know exactly. when it's when it's seven two Reds and it, there's a cold forty eight degree drizzle falling and it's there's the wood on the stands. It's the wood paneling on the walls of your parents' basement that has yes. been there since nineteen seventy seven. And so I, ki- I kind of had a weird appreciation for it almost in that. It was on the national stage. You point out a stage that's supposed to be celebrating hockey and the the first overall pick and the young star against the established all-time great. I, I, I get all that, and I understand why it deserved its own stage. And for the most part, it got its own stage. But I also thought, man, this is more Yinzer than Pat McAfee chugging an icy light mango while he wears a terrible towel. Like this is Pittsburgh. It, it's it's that one uncle who says the inappropriate thing at the cookout. Like it's just <laughs> you set your watch to it. You're hey. like, okay, it's coming. When's it gonna hey. happen? Then it happens, you're like, there you how go. far along is you? <laughs> I'm not pregnant. Exactly. That's that's what it is. Hey. It's like you, you, you sure? You, you sure? Because you look like he gained a few pounds, and I know you was running around with Bobby from from Nadine's, and I, you sure? He's used protection. Okay, I'm just checking, hon. It, you 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 dread hearing it. You know it's coming, and you can't do anything to stop it. When it does, you're like, there he goes. That's that's what I mean. There so it I, it's it's kind of like. Okay, if we're gonna be yeah, if we're gonna be fair. Yinzers, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna put my arms around it and just embrace the Yinzerdom for what it is. I get what you're saying. I do. Yeah, it, and, there's all, there's no surprises basically. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You got it. You, you got to embrace the flaws with with the with yeah. the things too. That's true. That's the, there are some of my cousins, Josh, that I don't see very often. But when I see them, if they don't have an icy light in their hand. And if they're not doing like you talk about, saying the inappropriate thing, uh-huh. then I think something's wrong. Yeah, you're like, you all right? You okay? Yeah. You got a job now? What's going right. on? Right. No, you, you been sick or something? I'm on disability. Don't worry. Um, so that has been the latest bi-week edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City. Um, we had plenty for you. It, by all means, if we hope that this was enough. Uh, Yinzer accents, um, Chappelle show references, Omar references from the wire aside to get you subscribe and follow the podcast. However you get it specifically in your odyssey app. Hopefully, uh, we will have a hot sheet episode later in the week. We'll make all our picks for the bye weekend 
And then, of course, we'll be back next week to start leading up to Steelers, Rams. Cooper Cup is back. Deontay Johnson is, oh, hell yeah, going to be back. And so much more. That'll be next week. But, uh, yeah, hot cheat episode in the next couple of days. And we thank you again. Thanks to Greg Finley for producing. Thank you to my good friend Josh Taylor, who I found out speaks Japanese, or at least used to. Used to, like decades ago, used to. Konnichiwa. I know like four, I know I like am, four phrases. I am Chris. Konnichiwa, Ian's. <laughs> I am Chris Mack, and this is Fourth Down in the Steel City.